Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, big tech backlash gets official and why political campaigns aren't ready for deep fakes. But first, the next recession. So there are basically two Americas right now in terms of economic prognostication. There's Trump's America, where the White House regularly blasts out sunny optimism with a dose of told you so to critics who expected the economy to begin tanking right after the inauguration. And then there's Economist's America, with consensus showing slowed growth in Q2 as the tax cut sugar high wears off and is further hampered by trade wars with China and now Mexico. The reality, of course, is no one is able to consistently time bull markets or bear markets, either in terms of macroeconomic well-being or stocks or bonds. But we do all know that the only people consistently wrong are those who, in moments of exuberance, proclaim that economic cycles are dead, something we last heard a lot about during the dot-com boom, which soon became the dot-com bust. So for investors, the question isn't so much when things will turn bad, particularly since it often requires some outside shock to the system, but rather what to do about it when it comes. And that's where my guest today comes in. He is Jason Thomas, director of research at private equity firm The Carlyle Group, who argues in a new paper that while money has been the defining finite resource of years past, it won't still be true going forward. Instead, he says investors will need to suss out more intangible qualities of executives and managers human capital versus financial capital, a sort of bet on the future of brain power at a time when there is broad concern and even you could say broad consensus that machines will be making more and more of our decisions for us. In 15 seconds, we'll dig in with Jason Thomas. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Jason Thomas, a managing director and head of research at private equity giant, the Carlyle Group. So Jason, in a recent paper, you argue that the past decades economic boom and certainly its stock market boom has partially been driven by this development in which financial capital or money is no longer a finite resource. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that there's been a very sizable decline in interest rates. Everyone observes that. But I think for a long time, people have associated decline in rates with central bank policy. And, and while certainly that is the driver, central banks have responded to fundamentals. And those fundamentals have been a substantial increase in savings relative to investment. And it's the increase in savings relative to investment that has pushed down rates, led to an increase in valuations really across the economy. And we suggest is that this one-time boost to asset prices has essentially run its course and investors need to accept this and now plan accordingly. When you say one-time adjustment though, I mean, we're hearing now about potential rate cuts, you know, some people are suggesting three more over the next year. So is it a one-time adjustment or, or no, or could it be ongoing? What I mean to suggest is that the, the long-term interest rates today that we see prevailing 2% in the United States, much lower, in fact, in some cases negative in other advanced economies, are a reflection of fundamentals. And this is something that, that's going to persist for some time. Now, central banks, as the Fed has proven over the past few years, may be able to get up from zero from time to time. The economy is going to expand. There, there may be price pressures that emerge from time to time. And, and policy rates, overnight rates, may move up. But the, the, the fundamental 
challenge that we, we face today, I think, as investors, is that the, the one-time adjustment to the low, permanently low, longer-term interest rates has pushed up valuations really across the economy. And this is, again, something that uh, is not going to go away. So this is, this is not talking about the cyclical factors, the ups and downs of the policy rate of overnight rates. This is just the, uh, what is more of a constant low long-term rate environment. If financial capital is no longer the finite resource, you argue that, that what investors have to be looking at, rather than trying to time the market and figure that you know things are going to start going bad on June 20th or July 8th, is, is to focus on human capital. You say that's the new finite resource. What does that mean? Sure. So right now, when you look at corporations on the whole, non-financial businesses, they actually generate more cash than they reinvest in their business. And, and that's the nature of the, the low interest rate environment, low expected return environment. And that's why financial capital is no longer that scarce resource that it once was. Today, what's really scarce and what actually drives returns is talent, human creativity, managerial expertise, broad networks. And then also uh, human capital is like human intelligence. It has a multifarious character. That means it takes many forms. And so there's a lot of complementary aspects of human capital where sometimes people have a great new product, but they don't have the ability to commercialize it. If I'm an investor, say, and I'm, and I'm looking you know, at a balance sheet or at financials, there's numbers and I can make determinations and I can look at other numbers you know, about where markets are going or where, where there's demand. When you're talking about human capital, though, that's a much softer sort of characteristic. How would an investor have a good sense on whether a company has good human capital or not outside of maybe a, a very well-known CEO? Well, right now, when, when you look at uh, businesses the, and, and you look and you aggregate enterprise value across the economy, four-fifths of the value is intangible assets. So the old days where you could look at the balance sheet and say, oh, I see that they've got this factory, they've got this physical asset, they've got this property, plant, and equipment, and then assign a valuation accordingly, that's long past. So investors are all already very much confronted with having to make judgments about where the intangible assets lie and, and what is the appropriate value to ascribe to them. And so I think in this case, it's very much products. It's, a, it's the ability to deal with complexity. When you look at the highest-valued corporations, very often they have a very small physical footprint, and much of what they do is, is on a contracted basis. But it's actually the skills that they have in terms of managing very complex value chains, uh, staying a, a step ahead of competitors with respect to products, understanding data, understanding analytics, all these sorts of things. So it, it's much more challenging for investors. But again, this is something that has increasingly been the case over the last 20 years as we've moved from physical assets to intangible assets, driving most of the value among the corporate sector. When I talk to, to CEOs and investors, one, one thing that seems to be fairly consistent, they will say that executives are relying more and more, not only on data, but companies are relying more and more on artificial intelligence and not just high tech companies, but it is becoming a bigger part. Machine learning is becoming a bigger part of these companies. If investing for the future through the next cycle is more about human intelligence, as you say, or human capital than about financial capital, what if the humans are being taken out of the, are largely taking themselves out of that equation? Is the next paradigm shift after that really investing in AI and in a company's AI? AI and, and the related machine learning is going to be a big part of the future. But let's, let's not for a second think that we're ever going to be able to take humans and human judgment out of the equation. In the revolution in econometrics from the last 15 or 20 years reveals that computing power can allow you to see lots of relationships. Many of those relationships may turn out to be spurious. You have to actually have human judgment and other ways to cross-check 
what your what the data are telling you. And so, uh, yes, I think that the revolution in AI is real, and this is going to be a major driver of value. And there is going to be lots of new information, new opportunities uncovered as a result. But it, it would be silly to think that human judgment is ever going to be fully taken out of the equation. That's still going to be central to both management teams' decision making as well as the decisions of investors. Jason Thomas of the Carlisle Group, thank you so much for joining us. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is increased regulatory and legislative pressure on big tech. Or put another way, the tech lash is getting codified. First up were reports over the weekend that the Justice Department and Federal Trade Commission have split up the field of possible investigations into anti-competitive behavior by big tech, with DOJ getting Apple and Google and the FTC getting Amazon and Facebook. Then, yesterday, the House Judiciary Committee launched a bipartisan inquiry into whether big tech platforms are engaged in monopolistic practices. The bottom line here is that these sort of things move very slowly, but they could result not only in new rules for tech, but also for other industries, perhaps establishing new antitrust rules for the 21st century. It's the sort of thing companies will need to evaluate when launching new business lines or when seeking merger partners. And finally, Axios's Kava Waddell reports this morning that the 2020 presidential campaigns appear to have done little prep work for what could be a flood of fake videos depicting their candidates doing or saying something incriminating or embarrassing. That recent fake video of Nancy Pelosi appearing to slur her words was just the tip of a possible deep fakes iceberg as the technology not only gets more sophisticated, but also harder to detect. So we contacted all 24 Democratic presidential campaigns, plus those of President Trump and GOP challenger Bill Weld, but only 10 replied, including Trump, but none of them could point to any specific protective steps they've taken against deepfakes. Don't be surprised if this ends up becoming one of the storylines of 2020. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Terrence Malangone, have a great National Cheese Day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.